Please join me in a spirit of prayer. O God, you came from above the fire celestial to impart. Kindle a flame of sacred love upon the altar of our hearts. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning, and I will explain that I'm in the pulpit today because it's a more intimate camera angle than when I preach in front of the altar. And when I preach in front of the altar, the cameras show my bald spot, which also explains the haircut, in case you are curious. Now, I grew up with a father who flew for the Air Force Reserve. And once or twice, he would wake me up very early in the morning, and we'd get in the car, and we'd drive to southern New Jersey, and I would get to spend some precious hours with him in the simulator. Now, a simulator is a fully mocked-up cockpit for a large airplane. Now, it's much better to practice dangerous accidents in a simulator than in a very expensive piece of government equipment. So here you'd go into this cockpit on hydraulic stilts that would rock back and forth as the airplane flew, and out the windows of the cockpit, you'd have a simulated horizon. You could see where you were going, so to speak. So one time, very early in the morning, I was sitting in the jump seat, which is a little fold-down seat between the pilots. And through the windows in front of us, we could see the horizon at night and the city of Hamburg, Germany, out there all twinkling. The pilots, my dad and his co-pilot, were lining up to land their C-141 cargo jet and as they lined up, our eyes were on that horizon. And suddenly, the horizon rolled over, which would indicate that our jet was upside down. Huh. Then it rolled over again, and again, and again, which would indicate that our jet was in a fatal spin. Every alarm bell went off and lights flashed, and we were dead, <laughs> metaphorically. After recovering from the shock of sudden simulated death, what struck me the most was the reaction of the pilots. When the spin started, both of their hands went up like they were under arrest, and their feet pulled back from the rudder pedals. They completely let go of control. And when it was all over, one of them turned to the other with a nervous chuckle and said, well, sometimes you are the pilot and sometimes you are the passenger. Sometimes you are the pilot and sometimes you are along for the ride. The illusion of control is crucial to our functioning, yet it is only 
one part of the story. We make choices for sure, and we are swept along by forces much larger than our willpower. Forces external and internal, inertia and momentum formed by our accumulated choices and the weight of history in us and around us. If you've ever been in a car sliding on ice, you know what I mean. In that car, I can make choices and take actions, but mass and momentum and the physics of viscosity are laughing while I fiddle around. I mean, I have some choices, but I certainly don't have all the choices. And I don't have control. Modern people react against our gospel for today because it rubs against our need for reasons. For a justified, sensible cause for the actions in the story. Jesus shows up out of the blue and says, follow me. And the fishermen follow him. We are left craving context, psychology, backstory. So we can decide if this story is convincing or perhaps intellectually respectable. But in that, in that enlightenment reflex of reason, we miss what the gospel of Mark is giving us. The kingdom of God has drawn near. The kingdom of God, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has drawn near. The mission and destiny of Israel is fully realized in this person, Jesus, and in what he says. Sometimes you are the pilot, and sometimes you are the passenger. I mean, I will make you fishers of men may be the silliest job offer ever delivered. It's absurd. There are no transferable skills to speak of between fishermen and evangelist, and the author knows that. And that makes the point. This is not about reasoning from one place to another. It's about the power of God acting. So, hearing this call, those fisher folk smelling of fish and the lake, follow because they have been addressed by the word of God. And the word is what makes following possible. And the word is what makes their new vocation possible. Only the word of God, that is Jesus, explains the sudden ability to leave identity, livelihood, family, and friends behind, to relinquish all and follow. No one leaves their life, no one gives up their life for a metaphor. Only an encounter with the word that was present at creation and is present fulfilling the mission and destiny of Israel to rejoin heaven and earth can make evangelists out of fishermen. 
It's not a story of moral guidance. It's not a story of good advice. It's not a story of self-help to be pondered and considered. The story is the intrusion of God into our lives, seeking a response inspired by and empowered by that same word. Our role is to surrender and respond. As Jonah learned much to his chagrin, and he is the prophet of chagrin, the word does the work. The word does the work. Sometimes you are the pilot, and sometimes you are the passenger. There is a cost to my reading of this story, no doubt. Maybe we will not feel so clever because it is no longer a puzzle to be figured out that kind of rewards our sense of how smart we are. Or maybe we will be a little embarrassed because we pride ourselves in feeling reasonable. Or maybe we will be deeply challenged because we prefer to be a sovereign self. A sovereign self, subject to nothing greater than ourselves, not even admitting sovereignty to God. As Frank Gallagher says on the TV show Shameless, where he is the primary shameless character, when asked if he believes in God, Frank Gallagher answers, well, I believe there's a force that thinks it is smarter than me. But faith, faith is a response to the word that works in us an unforeseen response. Faith is a response to the word in us that works an unforeseen response. I heard your word, O Lord, and I loved you, says St. Augustine. This word is powerful, personal, transformative, humbling, clarifying, creative, life-giving, and death-defeating. This word does what we cannot do on our own return to God. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is near. And that is Jesus. I took my children on a glider ride one year in Maine. One of those lovely, slender-winged gliders, no engine, quiet and peaceful in the air. And as we were soaring silently on the thermals above Lemoyne and above the River Jordan, the pilot invited me to take the controls. With great serenity and alacrity, I said, no thank you. Even though I am the son of a pilot and an aviation geek in the extreme, I surrendered easily and without ego to the pilot's competence, aware that my incompetence is a fearful thing. And so it goes. And so it goes for all of us in our life in the Word. We surrender control to God, to guide and govern and recreate our lives 
because we must entrust our lives to the most competent pilot we have. Sometimes you are the pilot, and sometimes you are the passenger. Thanks be to God. Amen.